Hey, I'm James. Welcome to a safish space to listen to some scary stories. From true crime to urban legends and whatever comes between, let's take this time to dive into something dark and see what twists and turns these stories have for us. I would like to welcome you to the I Know What You Did Last podcast. After you. Welcome back to the third chapter in our trilogy of terror. In this episode, we will be sending off Devil's Night with an original story written by myself, and it is called A Minor Problem. This is a fictional story that is based off of a small town in northern Ontario, Canada. The story does contain violence and death. So let's get comfy, boys and ghouls, and let's hear about what happened last to a young girl named Emery. Stewart's River was a small, remote town in a northern wooded area. It was now a small retirement-based community that found itself embedded in a dreamy woodland backdrop with all the basic necessities to allow for a quiet, easy, and simple life. Sitting just a few hours away from any other major cities, Stewart's River was for the most part a self-sustaining community that thrived on all of the stereotypical small-town cliches. It was the perfect place to grow up, and that was all thanks to the town's earlier days. The town was initially built around a mining facility, where hundreds of miners would work and live full-time. The fast boom of the industry and the need for workers prompted a quick economical surge, and before you knew it, Stewart's River Mine was a full-blown town with families and friends everywhere you looked. Now, well over 100 years since the mines have closed, the town was able to thrive as a retirement destination hotspot. It kept money within the town, it provided the need for businesses to operate, and it allowed its residents to have the picture-perfect life in a town you could only dream of. Emery was 13 years old, and she was a resident here in Stewart's River. She had been born here and was an only child being raised by her mom, Val. Emery's father unfortunately passed away before Emery was born, leaving Val to navigate new motherhood all on her own. Her grandfather had been a miner in Stewart's River, and while Val was always proud of being one of the ones who got away, she went home to raise Emery so she could have a sense of family. In the story's current day, Emery lived with her mom here in Stewart's River, and she was genuinely a happy girl, as much as she could be, anyway. A few years earlier, Val had been diagnosed with a terminal illness that Emery would watch slowly take Val from this side of the earth, leaving Emery to move in with her grandparents as she went through high school. The next two years would go as well as they could for any teenage girl who had just lost her mom. Emery had thrived socially and academically. She kept a steady part-time job, and she even volunteered with the trail clubs to maintain and upkeep the hiking areas that surrounded the town. Inside, though, Emery was hurting. Deep hurting. She longed for her mom. Sure, she had family and she had friends, but she needed her mom. Emery had to navigate some really deep and dark feelings all on her own, and she found that always keeping busy was a functional distraction, whether it was a healthy one or not. She grinded to meet her realistic goals while always daydreaming of one unrealistic goal, getting her mom back. It was a typical early fall day in Stewart's River as Emery would be heading out to do some trail marking and enjoy a nice hike on the Sunday. 
A lot of people may get nervous about a young girl hiking in any form alone, but Emery was a wise girl and had proven herself capable time and time again. She would only be a few kilometers down a trail before she would encounter another resident of Stewart River, and her name was Miriam. Miriam was a bit of a character known around Stewart's River. She had a tiny frame and stature with long, wavy, and thin black hair. She owned a small home on the outskirts and was always an odd one out. It was said she was really nasty, really rude, and some considered her an outsider as she seemingly had no ties to anyone in the community. She had let the exterior of her home completely degrade and remain unkept. She lived alone and she would really only be seen outside at night. Some even believed she was a vampire. <laughs> Emery would notice Miriam standing along the namesake of the town, Stewart's River. She was delicately standing on a rock, about two feet into the waterline, and staring at the sun. Emery's first thought was how wrong everyone is about her being a vampire because she would definitely be in flames right now. She'd watch as Miriam, who was draped head to toe in what Emery believed was a bathrobe. She filled a small container with water from the river before she headed away from Emery down the coastline. Emery continued on in her initial direction, marking for a few more kilometers before deciding to head home. She got an eerie feeling the entire way home and kept looking around and over her shoulder, feeling like she was being watched or followed. And she was. I know you know what it's like to have that feeling of dread slip over you, that tingle, that heat in your throat and the ice in your hands. We all know that feeling. That feeling though, it usually comes in the night or in the dark or in a place you've never been before. But this feeling was happening to Emery at 2 p.m. on a trail she traveled 101 times. It felt like she was being microwaved. Her nerves were on end and her instinct was telling her to run. Every ounce of intent her young body had would flood to her legs. And just as they were gearing up to go, Emery would feel a firm, tight, and demanding grasp on her arm. No sooner could she turn to look, she would feel the blast of a small boulder connecting with her temple. Maple syrup? Mm. Maple syrup and butter and pancakes. That was Emery's first thought. She had maple syrup on her hand. It was even stuck to her hair. Emery was waking up and she was confused. She couldn't figure out why she was outside or why she had maple syrup in her hair. She looked at her hand and she damn near passed out again. It wasn't maple syrup. Emery was covered in blood from that blow it was all over her clothes, her shoes, her hands. She let out an instinctual scream before steadying herself on her feet and running. Emery would get home and by the time that she did, she was convinced that she had just tripped and fell. There's no way someone grabbed her or hit her with a rock, but then just left her there? In Stewart's River? No way. Her grandfather and neighbor Melly cleaned Emery up and went to pick up a pizza for supper. Emery wasn't exactly truthful with them about her suspicions and said she had just had a clumsy tumble and that the blood looked way worse than it really was. It wasn't until Wednesday when Emery would be at school and all hell would break loose. One of the popular track and field students, Max, had gone missing. He hadn't been seen since practice on Sunday morning and the teachers and police were holding a conference to see if anyone had any information. 
Emery starts to wonder if someone had attacked Max like they did to Emery. What if the hit was too bad for Max and he didn't wake up like she did? What if she wasn't supposed to wake up? Or what if she's imagining it? Emery wouldn't say anything to anyone. The following Sunday, Emery had already committed to her marking schedule and while she was weary about her fall from the last week, she decided to head out regardless but would be doing the northern side of the river this time which was a bit further from home, but a more popular and traversed area, so she felt good about that. She wasn't but 10 minutes into her venture when she could see Miriam by the water again. This time, Miriam was facing Emery, not the water. And Emery could see that bathrobe better, and could actually see some very intricate beadwork all along the collar. There were pleats and stitches all throughout, creating this almost liquid appearance of the material. Miriam motioned for Emery to come to her. Without skipping even a beat, Emery's feet headed towards Miriam. Emery's brain said stop. Emery's heart said stop. Emery's feet just kept going. Miriam had this strange allure to her, almost a beauty. Emery had never seen Miriam's face before. She was more of a story tale than a real neighbor. She lived so far away from everyone and never socialized, Emery had no idea that she was as beautiful as she was. Miriam would lead Emery to the nearby bench and they would take a seat across from each other. Miriam introduces herself to Emery and she asks if Emery has any memory of last Sunday. Emery says she remembers falling in the trail after seeing Miriam and then going home afterwards. Miriam reaches her hand towards Emery as if to hold it. That weird allure, that irresistible urge, it returned, and no matter how much Emery's gut was telling her not to, she reached out and took Miriam's hand. A giant wave of emotion would overcome Emery, and she couldn't help but close her eyes. She would experience something she had never experienced before. Her vision had become almost like a movie. It was as if she was watching herself on that trail. She was watching herself mark, she watched herself freeze, and she watched as Max, the track and field student who had went missing, crept out from the bush and struck her over the head with a rock. Emery jumped. Physically, spiritually, emotionally, she jumped. She opened her eyes to see a sorrow on Miriam's face. Miriam explains that Max had attacked her, but Miriam had witnessed it and scared Max off. Miriam had waited there until Emery had awoken to leave, and she had wanted to warn Emery of Max in case he tried to do it again. Emery tells Miriam that Max has been missing since Sunday and Miriam looks worried. She tells Emery that she feels things, that she can feel something is wrong in Stuart's River. She tells Emery that she's always had a gift for feeling things and that she was able to show her the attack from last week because of these gifts. She tells Emery that she can feel that same power from within her, and that she'd like to pass her knowledge along to Emery so that she can build her skills. Miriam never had a mentor, and she wants to be for Emery what she never had. And if something bad was happening in Stewart River, the more people prepared, the better. Emery felt like this was a dream. It couldn't be happening. Magic powers and visions and feelings are all not real things. Emery was about to walk away from Miriam when Miriam opened her mouth and said one thing. A name. Valerie.
Emery's vision immediately snaps back to Miriam, and Miriam divulges that she and Val, Emery's mom, had been quite close growing up, and despite losing touch over the years, she had always loved seeing her around town and had kept an eye out for Emery ever since her passing. This touched Emery in a way that she hadn't been in years. She finally felt a current day connection to her mom. Living in her town and her footsteps was an honor and a pleasure for Emery, but it felt as if Val had just become a memory, but Miriam made her feel current again. Emery would agree to explore the possibility of being gifted and would start to spend a few hours with Miriam every Sunday after her trail marking. Miriam would tell Emery that her abilities wouldn't show until she had proven responsibilities and understandings, so she would mostly just help prepare different arcane items and goods for Miriam. Emery would bottle things, crush herbs, and one time Miriam needed a live pigeon heart, and uh, Emery was not a fan that day. <laughs> Emery's curiosity was growing though, and she had seen different texts around Miriam's house regarding reanimation and resurrection. She asked Miriam if this was possible, and she said it was. Emery, very bluntly and emotionally, asked if she could one day bring her mom back. Miriam has a long silence before an even longer sigh. She sternly tells Emery that raising anyone from the dead would result in one thing and one thing only. A mindless, flesh-craving zombie. She said that even magics can't bring a soul back, and it's not anything they should ever consider using their gifts for. This terrified Emery, and she agreed. As bad as she wanted her mom back, she wanted her mom back, not a monster. It wasn't but a few more weeks before Miriam started to show haste in her activities. She began bringing up that things were feeling worse here in Stewart's River, and that whatever was coming was coming soon. There was a full moon coming up, and Miriam strongly believed that whatever was coming, was coming then. Miriam tells Emery that she fears she was targeted by Max because of her gifts, and that Max may have been a part of a community that hunt and kill any gifted people. She recommends that Emery spend the night at Miriam's house when the full moon was to come, so Miriam could be confident that she was safe. This all felt like a bunch of hubba baloo to Emery, but she was still enjoying the connection to her mom through Miriam and felt like she owed this kindness to Miriam in Val's honor. Emery would tell her grandpa that she was staying at a friend's house and she would head to Miriam's the night of the full moon. Miriam rushed her inside before bolting all of the doors closed. She had hot chocolate ready and some jars. Miriam says they may as well bottle all of the fresh beef tongue she just picked up from the butcher and to head into the kitchen to get started. Emery walked through that old, decrepit house towards the kitchen. She had been inside every week, and although it was really rough on the outside, it had always appeared relatively fresh inside. Until today. Today, for some reason, the walls looked... drier. The carpet felt stiffer. She could smell something awful too, but it must be the beef tongue. She shook it all off and headed into the kitchen. Miriam would come in shortly behind her, and it wasn't more than two seconds later that Emery would look at Miriam and catch a glimpse of something that she hadn't noticed before. Miriam had wrinkles that lined the corners of her eyes and her mouth. They were fine wrinkles, small but very defined. And her hair looked a little extra wiry? Why did Miriam look so rough tonight? 
And then, Miriam would smile at Emery, revealing a mouthful of completely brown, rotted, and shattered teeth. Emery was horrified, and Miriam just smiled harder. And then, she started to laugh. <laughs> Miriam stood in that kitchen, almost cackling at Emery. As the wrinkles became more and more defined, the hair seemingly falling out of her scalp with every motion, and her teeth chattering with every bellow. That's the funny thing about glamour magic, Miriam would say. It never works on a full moon. A quick whistle escaped Miriam's lips before the curtain would completely drop. Emery immediately found herself in a disgusting, rotted out, bug-infested kitchen. The hallway she had just walked through, it now had holes all through it, stains everywhere, bare wires hanging from the ceiling. The chair she sat in began to twist and tighten, creating almost a cage around Emery's torso. Miriam explains that Max had never attacked Emery that day. Miriam orchestrated it to help Emery trust her and obtain a sacrifice for her magics at the same time. Two birds, one stone, they say. Miriam tells Emery that she is not actually gifted in any way. And Miriam never even knew Val. Miriam never had any intent on mentoring Emery. Emery is simply a lamb led to slaughter. Miriam would tell Emery a long tale about how she and her husband were one of the founding couples of Stuart River Mine. They had been responsible for the success and for the dream town that now stood, but that once her husband passed away, she had lost all status and control. She was shunned by those she once socialized with. She had been outcast economically by not having any funds to support herself, and finally, she was the subject of rumors for many years regarding her interest in dark arts. She would spend many years alone, hoping for solutions, before she would find a text at the local library that likely should not have been there. It was an old spell book, and while it was all in a foreign language, there was one that had translations scribbled inside for an immortality spell. Miriam would go on to sacrifice a young man or woman every 30 years to restore her youth and sustain her glamour spells. This was the purpose of Max. He was basically a battery for her illusions. If Miriam had already sacrificed Max, Emery would ask her then what does she need her for? And that's when Miriam's eyes would light up and she would thank Emery. You see, she needed a second lamb. Miriam had not accidentally left the resurrection texts out. She had been studying them herself. She had grown tired of life. She wanted some kind of final revenge. One grand act against the town that she built and the town that ruined her. Miriam was going to raise not one, not two, but an entire city worth of dead. She would use the power of this full moon and the supplies that Emery had helped procure for weeks to raise any and all of the dead in Stewart's River. While she didn't need to sacrifice Emery in order to raise them, she would need to sacrifice Emery in order to control them. She wanted to have the ultimate dominion over all of those who wronged her in the past, and she would have the final laugh as that town would be decimated. Emery would watch from her cage as Miriam danced around this cold and hideous house singing and laughing and chanting, and it wasn't long before Miriam would lay out a series of candles and items and begin to recite a spell. Miriam would finish the spell, let out one quick whistle, and then all hell broke loose. For real this time. 
the ground began to shudder and then shake and then just outright tremble. The caskets in the graveyards began to creak. Tombstones would crack, floral displays would rise up, and finally, the clay and the dirt would crack apart as the dead began to climb. Up and out of the mud would come reanimated corpses that were in varying levels of decomposition. Some looked eerily still alive, and some were nothing but bones with pages of flesh hanging off the bones. You could almost hear the grind of the bones on the pavement as they took off throughout the streets. If you couldn't hear the grinding, you could hear that wet, slick dragging sound of entrails and organs all over the streets. The corpses would crash through doors and windows, thrashing and devouring anyone they found. They had no mercy, no will, no desire to do anything but kill. Emery would feel the cage around her loosen as Miriam motions for her to stand. Miriam tells Emery that now she will take her life to take control of the dead and to take control of Stuart River. Emery knew that if she was going to have any chance in surviving this, it was right now. Emery was a great daughter to her mother, and she was also a great granddaughter as well. Grandpa always gave her a new pocket knife for Christmas, and she always had it with her. He made her promise. Without any hesitation, Emery would flick that knife out of her pocket and plunge it harder and deeper than she thought she ever could into Miriam's neck. Miriam took a step back in shock before laughing and gurgling on her blood. She was able to tell Emery in her final breaths that she had made a grave mistake and that without a ruler, the dead will return to their graves at sunrise, but not before killing everyone in town. Even though Miriam was dying, Emery too would still die. Emery couldn't believe that. She took off running. She flew out of Miriam's house and she took the nearest wooded trail to her house. She had to get to Grandpa. She could hear all of the screams in the distance, the sirens, the alarms. It was total anarchy in Stewart's River. Emery was able to get to her house in a matter of minutes. There was a body laying on the yard, but it was too round to be her grandpa. And as she ran up the driveway, she could in fact see that it was Melly, the neighbor. She opens the door and walks in, shouting for her grandfather, before slipping and falling in something wet. She found herself in the puddle of blood that had pooled beside her grandfather's body. He had been attacked by the dead, and his lower jaw was completely removed. Even both eyes had been chewed out of their sockets. In a moment of quick thinking and despair, Emery turned off her emotions and tries to come up with an action plan. She hadn't seen a single reanimated corpse on the way here. What if Miriam's house was safe for some reason? What if it's too far away from the general populations and the zombies won't go there? It was her best bet. It had to be. She would be far away and she would maybe even have some kind of magical weapon there. Emery took off and headed back to Miriam's house. She knew she just had to survive until the sun came up. Emery arrived back at Miriam's, ran inside, stepped over Miriam's body, and started looking for things. She knew she had seen different textbooks, different ancient daters around, and she knew she had to use every resource she could. She barricaded all of the doors and windows while trying to make sense of everything in front of her. Everyone she knew and loved was gone. How was she supposed to focus? Emery takes one deep breath, closes her eyes, and tries to think about her lessons with Miriam. 
Had Miriam ever mentioned a weapon? A defense spell? Anything? Miriam had never mentioned anything of use to Emery. Everything Miriam did tell Emery was a lie. There was one thing that Miriam had not told Emery, though. Miriam had never told Emery that Max had been buried in the basement. Emery had no way of knowing that while she was out, Max would rise in the basement and had been creeping his way upstairs. She took a deep breath before she opened her eyes again and then would open her eyes just in time to see a rotting and mutilated Max staring back at her. She opened her mouth to scream as Max would reach in and rip her tongue out before ravaging, shredding, and eating Emery. No one would survive this night. Stuart River Massacre would remain a mystery with no one able to explain the carnage. Thank you guys for listening to my very first original story. I've always enjoyed reading and writing fantasy and horror stories, but never have really put anything out there in that respect, so it feels super groovy to share one of those for the first time with you guys. Your support for the true crime, urban legends, and all things horror has been through the roof, and I hope you all enjoyed this too. And our final emoji of the night is going to be the knife emoji. Quick recap for anyone listening. This trilogy marked the beginning of a giveaway to win an I Know What You Did Last podcast sweater with the winners being picked in January. So now you'll want to go comment a bat emoji, a cloud emoji, and a knife emoji somewhere on the gram to get yourself three entries into the giveaway. I'll see you next time with another dose of spooky, another emoji, and another chance to win that giveaway. Everyone be good. Stay safe. Don't trust old crazy ladies named Miriam, and have a safe and happy Halloween. On that note, I trust you can see yourself out, right? Thanks for listening, and until next time...